0: There's different types of silences and there's a silence where you're like oh god and your heart starts beating and you start feeling beads of sweat and then there's a silence where everyone in the room is kind of sharing in this mutual wanting for the next words. Everyone in the room is hooked and and their, their eyes are locked on you and you could have anything to the left of the stage and you could have anything to the right of the stage and they wouldn't notice. That's to an extent, become more important than the laugh. Obviously, I'm a comedian and I want to make people laugh, but there's a noise when you deliver a certain pattern of words, a certain sentence or a certain thing in a show where the audience kind of reanalyse everything that came before it.
1: This conversation talks about lots of things, including bullying, different kinds of violence, trauma body issues and other kinds of things created by patriarchy and by toxic masculinity.
0: There's got to be a point where someone goes, well, I'm going to be the last stop. I'm going to be the person that goes, everything that was given to me was given to them. My oppressor was oppressed. I cannot blame anything that's happened to me because blaming is, is not productive. Right. Just saying, oh, it was his fault, or it was her fault, or she, she fucking did this. That's not going to get anyone anywhere. Hello i'm dave i'm the guy that's putting all this
1: stuff together i need to get better please make me better i want to get better 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 acquainted with you today we're getting better acquainted with ed hedges Hello Ed. Hello. (laughs) How are you? I'm good. I'm good. And we're upstairs at the Bill Murray in Angel, which is a comedy club, right? Yeah. And we're kind of like in a kind of it feels like an attic because it's got like tables and chairs and boxes and things like that on one side of me, but then if I turn my head the other way, it doesn't look like an attic anymore (laughs) because there's a stage and a whiteboard, a flip chart, and all sorts of kind of creative things to help you to kind of put together comedy shows. This is the first time I've been in this building, um, and it's it's living up to its uh, reputation already. Like, it's a really nice place. It's, it's
0: beautiful. It's, it's, it's where I did all my work for my first Edinburgh show, which was last year. The Bill Murray and Angel Comedy Club as a thing have become like a creative hub for comedians and right. writers, and a lot of the... There's an there's a internet thing called Next Up, which is like the Netflix... For alternative comedy. And if you watch any of them, they're all filmed here. So this is like the real like base of new, exciting comedy. It's, right. And they do, run seven days a week. They used to work at a pub just down the road called the Camden Head. That's right. And they got so big and so successful and they had queues out the door. They were like, well, we've got to open a new venue. And if, if people at home Google the Bill Murray, the building itself looks beautiful. It's got big um, pictures of people. Yeah, and murals, murals maybe. Of, yeah. like, famous comedians. It looks like a cool comedy club. It does, it does. not in that kind of, like, scary, cool way. No. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't look like a punk club from the 80s. Right. It looks friendly and warm. It is friendly and warm, and it's, it's... It's in Angel, but it's off the beaten track.
1: Yeah. So it's kind of like for, for, for introverts, it's kind of a nicer kind of place to come. You will than, never stumble upon it. Right. Ever. Right. Exactly. It's like a secret venue. Yeah. Totally. And that's, and that's And I guess that's why the comedy that's happening here feels exciting to mm. watch and to make. I'm sure that gives people an idea of where we are. You've got a vape, haven't you? a vape. And so so that's that's what those sounds are. If you a sound effects sound. Uh, fans, that's that's what that is. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> i sorry, I'll try and limit it no, 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 don't, don't, don't limit it like, I don't think people will mind I mean, you do get people who get really annoyed if people are eating in podcasts
0: I don't get annoyed if people are eating in podcasts A friend of mine, Larry Dean likes to go to sleep listening to the sound of people eating Well, like, there it's, you a go. it's a thing Well, that's
1: it That's And that's something I've learned about Uh, background sound as well Uh, I used to kind of always feel really bad because you know obviously it's an accessibility issue in some ways right if someone's got difficulties hearing and there's a lot of weird sounds around it's harder for them to hear so I understand that liking messy sound the way I do it does mean that not everybody can enjoy my podcast which makes me sad but on the plus side have you heard of this thing I'll probably get the, the acronym wrong but ASMR no I can't remember what it stands for but it's like like, you get kind of sensory delight from certain kinds of sounds. So people like, there's ASMR videos out there on really? YouTube where people are like listening to these weird sounds, and like apparently it's like a, it's like a. It's like an orgasm in your head, kind of. <laughs> like not an orgasm, but like a weirdly delightful, enjoyable sensation in your head. And apparently, uh, a lot of getting better acquainted episodes provide that for people with the kind of sound of aeroplanes in the background or cars, uh, things like that. Uh, apparently, that's really good for people who have AS- ASMR. So, you know, you please some people, but you also you delight some people. So it's. It, it you know it's it, it's all to play for I don't really care i i I think if somebody doesn't enjoy listening to a particular episode because of the background sound, uh, they can stop listening to it yep' that's and listen to the, the next one um and that's absolutely fine like that's that's why I want people to feel able to make those those kind of decisions when listening to this show uh, but they shouldn't turn this one off no. because this is going to be great. The first question
0: that I ask everybody is how do you know me? How do I know you um well, a very very good friend of mine and a f- amazing comedian. I, are we allowed to swear on this podcast? Yes. We are. Yes. Fucking amazing comedian, Sophie Hagen, <laughs> um, who's a brilliant like body positivity, feminist. She's a wonderful, wonderful comedian. and One of my best friends. Uh, she introduced me to Spark Storytelling yeah, Night, right, which yeah. I'm not sure if you, uh, are listeners aware of Spark?
1: They might be if they're regular listeners. So okay. Spark is a true storytelling night that happens in London. I host the Hackney branch of Spark. So that's
0: my connection to that. So Sophie Hagen said to me, it was after a gig here, I think, where we met. Did we? No, we didn't. No. It was a, where I th- was it? I'm it was- not sure where we met. No, we met in
1: at uh, the Phoenix, uh, the Phoenix the Artist, Phoenix Artist Club.
0: Club. Yeah. So me and Sophie were working on our, our Edinburgh shows from last year. She uh, introduced me to you. We spotted you across the room. <laughs> and she said, oh, you'll love Dave. Dave is really fun to know. And she walked me over to you and went, this is Dave Pickering. And I said, hello. And I was very awkward and nerdy. And then she was, at some point, she dropped in that you were from Spark, which I know a lot about, and then I found out and I got a bit nerdy with you and I was like, oh, right. I'd love to come down and do spark sometime. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, that's how we met. Yeah, and I mean, I will have been awkward in that
1: in that interaction too, because I'm quite an awkward person too. I mean, I always enjoy it when there's other awkward
0: people around. Like, I don't uh,
1: trust those confident people that go
0: straight <laughs> into someone they've just met with a up. Like, Hi, my name's Gary, he's a business guy. Right, it scares right. me
1: i mean I, i'm i'm basically incapable of meeting someone in an, in a in an easy relaxed way, but I, <laughs> but I hope that it 's a kind of enjoyable way regardless um, and yeah like yeah Sophie is amazing. I want to add my appreciation for mm. sophie's comedy like her work in general, like her podcasts like i 'm a massive fan of, of what she does it's always been really great to have her uh, when she comes to spark uh, to do s- stories occasionally it 's a perfect kind of Fit, really for what she does and what you do right because yeah. I mean that's why you knew about Spark before you met me uh, and why you're excited about that because you're,
0: you're excited by storytelling right? I am yeah I'm a big fan of, of storytelling and it's a new thing for me kind of kind right. of, it's kind of new it's like I think people have revelations later in their life and then they look back and reassess the rest of their life and they're like oh it's always been this like I don't know I'm I'm a child. I should say this at the beginning of the episode. Like, I'm not smart at all. So if I say anything that's wrong or not correct, then I'm sorry. I apologise for everything for But um, a friend of mine who I was best friends with throughout school, he came out uh, as gay. Um, is that the correct way yeah, to say that? Yeah, okay, cool. I was hanging out with Sophie. You learned that you, you, there are lots of different uh, terms and that I with the best intentions, get things wrong all the time, hence the earlier apology. Um, but one of my best friends from school came out as gay, and uh, I was so happy for him, because throughout the school, I started to look back at our friendship together, and I was like, oh yeah, he's always, he's always, like, this has always been Jake. That Jake has always been this person that was, I kind of not, unsure, but like, I wanted to tell him, like, I, I totally get that, and I understand why certain situations in high school were, were tough for you. Right? Why certain conversations that you know teenage boys have, and jokes that teenage like thirteen year old kids that are idiots have, why well, that might have been uncomfortable. I I, I wanted to, tell, but but those like later revelations where you find something out and you go, oh yeah, that, not saying in the same level, but I got um I got into a comedian called Mike Birbiglia and this is going to sound like me yeah. talking about sexuality and then talking about storytelling right, right. I'm not comparing the two at all like no. oh, vastly different but...
1: Right, but the life's full of spectrums and there are comparisons that you can yeah. make between different experiences without saying they're equal Coming out as a storyteller
0: a... is not nearly as difficult No, as... it's not, it's definitely um, not But uh, <laughs> uh, I, I sort of found this comedian called Mike Viglia he's an American comedian that's uh, right. I'm sure yeah. you're aware um, but for anyone that's listening that doesn't, isn't aware of Mike he's, he's like this comedian uh that's not like many comedians you would have seen or listened to before. He does hour specials on Netflix and, and live shows, but they're very narrative driven. It's like a story and it's very and at the end of the show you find yourself watching it two or three times going, "Oh, that links to there and that links to there." So I watched it and I was like, I really want to do that. I really want to I really want to tell stories. And I decided to do that and then um, Sophie made me look back at all my sort of reviews that I got as a new comedian. And they were all saying anecdotalist, this, and like raconteur. And I was like, oh, these are just posh words for storytelling. Yeah, right. I had no idea. Um, right. But so, like, throughout my career, I'd always sort of flirt with the idea. Um, and the reason Spark's such a massive thing for me, and the reason storytelling's a massive thing for me, is because when I got into that, I tried to find as much storytelling kind of um, scene. Does yeah. that make sense? Like, right, the storytelling right. world and yeah. read books on storytelling. And, uh, and yeah, I got into it that way. And it was quite a jarring thing to do. To, to just change what you do in, in an instant because it's, it's interesting because I mean it, it, there are a lot of storytelling comedians and it's, it's a bit a part of
1: comedy for mm. a long time but it's it's also like when you really get into storytelling it's very sometimes counter intuitive for comedians as well because comedians are chasing the laugh mm. and storytelling's not really about not chasing the laugh it's about chasing the truth yeah and like those moments that ring true they might be hilarious mm-hmm. they might be really sad they might be like shocking whatever but it's those moments that you get that are like that just gets it that just yep. gets at what I'm trying to say like
0: a specific detail or there's like. a thing called uh, the joke coke which is like when a, f- when a new comedian goes on stage and gets his first big laugh that's it you're hooked right you'll chase that forever right and i had that with when i got my first big laugh like as a very new comedian but then there was a moment where i was previewing this storytelling show and mid in the middle of like part of a story i was telling um quite a dark part of the story i was telling i found myself getting really like excited because i could hear someone typing on the cash register outside and i was like oh there's there's 150 people in here and I can hear a cash register, and they're right. all looking at me. And like in, in comedy, silence isn't good. Like you, you want to get that laugh every thirty seconds. You want to get the laugh, and you want to keep the energy up. And and it, there's, there's there's different types of silences. And there's a silence where you're like, oh god, and your heart starts beating, and you start feeling beads of sweat. And then there's a silence where everyone in the room is kind of sharing in this mutual wanting for the next words everyone in the room is hooked and, and th- their their eyes are locked on you and you could have anything to the left of the stage and you could have anything to the right of the stage and they wouldn't notice it's, it's just this beautiful like, I'm not sure if pregnant is, is the right word but this, this an energy full silence like a silence where the audience are like right. really buy into it and for me that's to an extent become more important than the laugh obviously I'm a comedian and I want to make people laugh but um there's a, there's a noise when you deliver a certain pattern of words, a certain sentence or a certain thing in a show. There's like a gut-wrenching, like, ugh, noise. Right. And it's where, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing where the audience kind of reanalyse everything that came before it. I'm not sure if this makes sense. Cause no, it I get, makes sense to me. I get very caught up in storytelling. <laughs> I mean, but... it makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, I've come to storytelling from,
1: yeah, a different direction, I guess. Like, it's a funny thing, like, now, I guess... Sometimes what I do might be a little bit Mm comedy-ish, but I was never going out to become a comedian or Mm -hmm. anything. Like I kind of came to to storytelling through, yeah, through darker stuff, through wanting to have those moments of awkwardness or sadness or those kind of things. And I, I used to run a night called Stand Up Tragedy, and uh, I would have uh, comedians do that night as well as people who who weren't comedians, like uh, storytellers or spoken word artists. So it was a, a variety night. And it was really interesting, like, because it was about sadness, it was about standing up and and, and doing sadness, like, comedians would often get really disorientated because they'd do their, their piece and they'd expect a laugh to come, but because they'd come after something that had been sad, the laugh wouldn't be there in the same way. And also, sometimes people would try out something new mm-hmm. and because they were trying it out not in a comedy room the reaction that they got was a storytelling audience yeah. reaction and that would really freak them out and I, so I've spent quite a lot of time after gigs with com- comedians kind of telling them no 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 it was good yeah. people did like it like it's a different thing it's good in a different way yeah, we've yeah, been yeah. trained
0: to it's kind of Pavlovian we've been trained to think if they laugh you're doing good if they don't laugh, you're doing bad and and with storytelling, it's different. You can't tell how a story is affecting someone because right. the second you say anything in a performance, whether it's you know a song, whether it's a play, whether it's poetry, whether it's storytelling, whether it's comedy, that goes into someone else's head, right? And it, and it, it gets mixed with every experience they've had. I saw uh, an amazing comedian called uh, Sarah Kendall. She's like one of my heroes yeah. in comedy. She's amazing, um, and I, I watched the uh, I watched her show. Uh, with my partner, who uh, is 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 currently dealing with being someone that has someone in their life that is struggling with cancer, and there was a little reference, there was a, there was a story in Sarah Kendall's of show about cancer, and for me that just washed over me like I was like oh, the story like it didn't wash over me but right. I heard the story and I was like okay I understand the story and I'm enjoying it, not enjoying it obviously but yeah yeah. And then I look engaged. over yeah. and she's crying her eyes out. But in that kind of silent way that people sometimes do in performances where they're crying, but they're invested and they want more. And they're not crying and they don't want to leave, but they're just emotionally feeling a completely different thing. So with storytelling, I, I've had people come to see my show that, that thought I was really intense, it was really, I was really hooked. And I've had other people where they've experienced things that relate to what I'm talking about right. and they're like that reminded me of this thing and and there can be a line in the show that sticks with someone yeah. for a long time and and there can be people that view it in in so many different ways the only thing you can do as a storyteller is just tell your story yeah. like i i got very hooked on um, on trying to cater my story so everyone will get something from it and at the end of the day i feel like as a performer the best thing for you to do is find out how a story relates to you Yes. and yeah, do yeah. do it from your point of view and then let other people take what they need from it Yeah. if you do it for you and you don't chase someone else's reaction then people will come in or go out I had three walkouts in my Edinburgh run and um, I was really cut up about it until I realised that it wasn't for them they right. had they had no grasp on the story. They they didn't want that in yeah. their life. And then I had other people that really enjoyed it, and they were all right. The, the guy, the three drunk guys that walked out of my show yeah, were as right, right yeah. as the people that wrote to me in January, exactly. like yeah, earlier yeah. this year. that were like, "It's really stable." So it, it it's interesting, and in it's interesting.
1: Way. Well, it's interesting what you're saying there as well because I, I've done, I've been, I guess, I've been doing storytelling for like coming up for 10 years, I guess. And I've been kind of hosting different kinds of storytelling nights. I've been thinking a lot about stories. I've got a a solo storytelling, partly storytelling show, partly kind of other things as well. Um, And one of the things I've learned about storytelling is that the more specific you are, the more universal it becomes. So like if you're really specific about your stuff, like actually, that will be the thing that will touch other people, totally. and it's it is weird because you know you, we, we you, you know a good example of this is, is is Sophie's work, right? I go to see her storytelling shows, and obviously you know. Me and Sophie are very different structurally and yeah. in, in, and and personally in different ways, right? I'm a man, cis man. Uh, I'm a like um you know I'm middle class. I'm English. At least all, three times all, in all the Sophie Hagen show,
0: she will say that you are the problem. Right, which is... right,
1: and she's right. And I, I will also I you know in my show I will also say I'm the problem. Yeah. but 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 seeing her shows really resonated with Mm. you. The the first one, particularly, um, the one, you know, about Westlife and and, and being a person with a fat body and all of these kind of things, Mm. like, that really resonated with loads of deep and dark experiences that I've had, even though they were in different contexts, Mm. they were in different ways. Your show... On the other hand, resonates with me in a lot of ways, which are much more direct. Like because we are both kind of similar, like Mm -hmm. we're both men, awkward men, uh, (laughs) and and you know there's 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 a lot more similarities actually than that, and we'll get into that as we get into talking a little bit about and around your show. Um, But the (laughs) second question I ask everybody, and you know everyone will already know this to a certain extent by now, but I'll ask it anyway: is What do you do now? What I do
0: now. I think at the moment I'm in a weird point in my career as a comedian and as kind of, I wouldn't say I'm a storyteller, but right now I'm at this stage where in the, in, the, in the life of a comedian, you start off and you're brand new and you work to get your five minutes. When you've got a five minute comedy set, five minutes worth of jokes, you do that and then you get to 10 minutes and then you start doing it in proper comedy clubs and then you get a good 20 minute set and you start to gig for money and then you go and do your hour and then you do your hour and then you go back to comedy clubs and you gig more and for me I always expected that kind of route and it didn't pan out that way I I did my 5 minutes, I did my 10 minutes I realised I wanted to do storytelling long formy, narrative driven shows I did it and then I left Edinburgh in August last year and I went back home and uh, I sat and I started to think about what I wanted and, and, and I've got things coming up and I've got things in the pipeline, which are all very exciting. Like I'm, I get to go to Australia, I get to go to New York, I get to do fun things. Like I'm doing a little run at the Soho, which is amazing. But right now for me, I could go out and I could do comedy clubs and I could try and work out how to tell bits funnier. Or I could, you know, sit and just sort of go, well, i wait for my exciting things to come up. And for a long time after Edinburgh... I was struggling with what, what what do you do now? Do you get straight back in? Do you work hard on writing jokes? But my shows aren't about jokes. My shows are about stories and the jokes come later. So right now for me, what I'm doing is a lot of, um, is a lot of preparing, a lot of to-do lists and a lot of thinking. I've got my next show in the pipeline and at the moment for me, it's all about figuring out what I mean by the show. Right. Which is a strange thing to right. say, but I, I've got a collection of stories, and I'm kind of working out what they mean. Right, if that makes sense. It makes
1: absolute sense to me. I mean, that's. I feel like I've I I did that for, you know, maybe five years mm. before I put together my my first. Uh, and only solo storytelling show. So I totally understand taking the time, thinking about it, trying out the stories. And you know what? Stories change yeah, over absolutely. years. Like I'm now doing stories that I used to do, but they they mean very different things. They yeah. position me in a completely different way like than, than my early
0: kind of versions of those stories. Did. Looking back at the story I told every day for a month, now I'm starting to see little things that, I don't know if it was my subconscious or if I'm just thinking it but there are things in it that I never realised I was saying when I was right. saying them right. and you look back and go oh that's about that's about that day in January 2003 <laughs> right. oh this is very interesting and there's an interesting thing that um, because cause where I'm at right now is a very difficult point because emotionally where I stand right now my, my heart and my emotions and my experiences are based in, uh, in one show um, we're going to call that show the next three days Uh, because that's what it's called (laughs) but the show that I'm writing right now is uh is called forever from forever ago based on the Bon song because I like to be wanky (laughs) um but I was really planning on doing this the next three days show this year until Sophie Hagen a lot of my stories about Sophie Hagen she's like my big sister in comedy she took me to one side and said um how exactly do you intend to tell a story that hasn't finished yet Right, that's the like, internal problem for oh, storytellers. Yeah, yeah. so I, I, I had to make the decision to put it on the back burner and to put everything I'm feeling right now, everything that I'm struggling with right now, everything that I'm kind of going through right now, I have to put that to one side and keep note of it yeah, but, in order to but, save it for a future work. But keeping note of it is part of the process yes, of definitely.
1: developing it, of thinking about it. And often if you leave material for longer, you'll get a better result at the end because you'll, yeah. you'll have more perspective on it. Mm. Like I think like, I couldn't have done... So my, my, my solo show that I do is called What About the Men? Mansplaining Masculinity. <laughs> it's all about yeah. masculinity. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think I could have done it five years before that because I had not come to those conclusions I had not worked through my own shit worked through society's shit Mm. and I'm not saying I kind of have come to the final conclusions yet in fact now I'm kind of reflecting on that and changing a lot of that yeah um you know as I go forwards but but I I couldn't have done it earlier like sometimes it's okay it's okay to to not kind of pour your heart out you know, when it's raw. When it's raw, yeah. Because you'll still manage to get back to that mm. when you tell it later. You can you can still find those emotions again. But that perspective that you might have when you've let it lie for a bit yeah. will allow you to kind of present it in a much better way. Like you need to know... Like, what your shit is yeah. in order to, like, totally. deliver it. You know,
0: that's the thing. And, it's, and it takes ages to learn that shit. Well, I I, I feel so strange, like, going, well, I'm writing a, a story while living in a different story that I'll be writing about in the future. Like, everything's kind of happening at once and you've got to kind of compartmentalise the right. mind and kind of go, well you may be living this now, but we're going to think about this, and, and it's it's super tricky. And I, I had the same thing about, um, about masculinity. My last show was, was largely yeah, I about so. mas- masculinity. Yeah, I do. And it was... I mean, I don't know how it was for you to do a show about masculinity, but for me, it was super tricky because I... When I'd preview it, a lot of the times I would go out into rooms. Me and Sophie did a lot of previews together, and we'd walk out into these... Dingy little rooms filled with like proper men and and yeah, their wives right. of a hundred years and and I'd be like I don't want to do this show in here. This show isn't isn't these these people don't, won't enjoy seeing my show. She was like the people that you don't want to see your show are the people that have to see Absolutely. your show. And a lot of the time, like probably what I'm most proud of is. Isn't anything I did at Edinburgh Edinburgh was amazing but it, it, at the end of it it's an arts festival yeah. it's full of the choir that yeah, you are preaching to absolutely when you're previewing it and when the show's not really quite ready you're doing this show about masculinity and about toxic masculinity and about the way it corrupts and and you're doing it to someone that is so heavily in it and in my head I was like this 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 45 year old guy from Halifax or this 56 year old guy from you know Preston won't enjoy this show. And there's a there's a moment like sort of three quarters of the way into it where I started to notice at the same point in each show, these kind of old school big, like proper, for want of a better word, proper men. Yeah. Were kind of like they were in that moment I mentioned earlier, where they were fully invested. Absolutely. And it was like, oh, I, I might actually be getting through to you. Well and guess what? Those proper men
1: know what it's like to live in the you know the painful thing the that experts. is masculinity. The exactly. Experts. But
0: the front is so good that you think I, this isn't going to be for you and that's part of the problem like, yeah
1: no I mean I, have, I I've also had that experience I mean mine's not a funny show so that already kind of makes it even harder to do to mm. those kind of people and it's not a show that's purely about story it's uses stories to talk about political points and 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 stuff like that and I do it in a I do it in a purple dress <laughs> and a purple, a purple fedora nice. right um and so it's a already there's a few it's it's harder to get to those, you know, yeah. like you say, those those you know, working men from Preston or whatever. But when those men have been in my audiences they have had, you know, a lot of the time really powerful responses. Yeah, they I, mean, get it. I did it I did the show the other the other week in at Chester University and there was this these two people who come in who weren't from the university, this kind of middle-aged couple, and they just come because they'd seen the, the poster and they looked funny. That's that's the problem it's with doing it in a dress, Funny poster, right? yeah. Um, but, uh, the, the, and the guy came up to me afterwards and he was like, you know, I've worked in factories all my life and uh, I didn't think, like, I didn't I haven't thought about this stuff, and I, I think you've got a point. And it was like it was—it was quite amazing to sort of be talking to this guy who, yeah, the kind of guy that would intimidate me. Yeah. And and it's like wow, you know, that's an amazing experience to have. And but I mean, like with your with your show, I think you know you shouldn't be as afraid like uh, to to do it to the, to those audiences because I think it's got plenty of jokes in it, mm. and it's a compelling story. Like it and the, the, you know, to 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 say it's about masculinity isn't incorrect, no, yeah. but it is also to that makes it sound like it's going to be you know my show about masculinity and if you come to my show it's going to be you know breaking down masculinity for an hour it's going to be complicated and hard your show there's there's those things in it but it's yeah. also entertaining and it's also dramatic it, there's a lot of dra- like yeah, a it's, like a dramatic. In fact, it's going to, it's so dramatic. It's going to be hard for us to talk about it, you know, which is an interesting thing because there's a, there's things that happen at the end of the show that we're not going to talk about because mm. they're spoilers. <laughs> but at the same time, uh, those are like things that would. Easily sell the show to people. Yeah, this is the danger
0: of what I've had going on. Yeah,
1: and you were telling me before we started recording that you kind of had had had, had to turn down a couple of really great media like promotional opportunities because they wanted the full story and you didn't want to spoil it for your audiences. Yeah, massive,
0: massive newspapers were like, We'll give you a full page spread if you tell us the story. And I had to make the decision to be like, No, I can't.
1: can't And you chose not to. So, why, why did you
0: choose not to? I chose not to because, um, because it is, and I'm not a confident guy. Like, if the listeners could see me now, I I look the way I sound. I'm I'm an awkward (laughs) little 24 year old kid from the countryside. But um, I don't often blow my own trumpet. I'm not one of these, like I'm the nuts kind of guys. Right. Um, But what I will say is that the story is a true story, and it's a very good story to sit back and sleep. If there were no laughs in it. It's the first thing in my life where I'm comfortable to say, if you sat and watched it, I would be comfortable to just tell you what happened that night verbatim. It's it's about a thing that happened one night that made um, the front page news in, in a lot of uh, different, uh, like, not page, but BBC. And, and we had news people in our village. And it's, it's a story about something bad that happened, something right. very bad that happened in my little village. I went back there for one night and um, in the middle of the night, someone tried to get into our house and it's basically I mean I, I don't know enough about a lot of things to be able to tell you what it's about I still don't really know what it's about myself but I think it's it's not about masculinity it's a story that is the result of toxic masculinity right, it's, right, right. it's it, what happens when it doesn't get sorted right it's,
1: right absolutely and and, and 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 you know for that reason isn't it an important story I think and you know in that way it does resonate with you know what I do in my show like Mm -hmm. I I give a lot of unpleasant examples of 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 what happens if you don't address this thing that we have that's surrounding us called toxic masculinity or we that we're calling toxic masculinity these days Uh, sometimes people call it hegemonic masculinity Uh, if there's men listening you know we're not saying we're not saying men are the problem we're saying the culture of men Inhabit, that's, that's something I learned is the
0: problem I didn't realize that um, that uh, I'm very naive and I didn't realize that fem- feminism and the uh, the movement of feminism is as much for guys as it is yeah. is for ladies and and people that are like non-binary and stuff like that. Is that the right word? Yes, that's the right word. Good, I'm doing... I'm very nervous of, uh, like, getting things wrong cause I'm an idiot and I shouldn't really be speaking for this long. Um, <laughs> but I always feel guilty at the beginning of my show. I'm like, I have no right to talk to any of you for an hour solid. No, you um, have got a right to speak, though. You do. Just because
1: you're a man and men often have more space within culture, I think that can make some of us who are a bit more kind of awkward in the mm-hmm. world feel like we there's even more reason why we shouldn't speak. But, but you're okay. There's not even any. We're not talking over any women. No, just
0: no. us in this room. I oh, something really before I carry on with my little thoughts. Something really embarrassing happened. I was talking to a friend of mine. She she kind of gave me permission to ask all the questions I'm embarrassed to ask about feminism and and, uh, and she, I, I said to so what is the most annoying thing when you're when you're dealing with feminism and men when you're explaining them? And she was, she said. Um, the, some, one thing that's quite annoying is sometimes men that are feminists have a tendency to speak over you. And when she said speak over you, I went, Speak over you! <laughs> I was like, Oh, I'm the problem! <laughs> um, yeah. But, but, but Sophie, uh, Sophie's show, especially, it made me realize that that feminism is, is as much for men as it is for women. I, I had no idea. I had no idea that this was such a problem. When I started to write this show, uh, my last show, um, I was writing it as a story. I wanted to tell a story. I didn't realize that it was about masculinity. I had no idea until like towards the end of my like sort of training if you will like previewing it right. I, I I, called Sophie and was like hey do you know what I think quite a lot of my show is about masculinity and yeah. she went finally You're f- I didn't want to say it to you but I wanted you to realise it on your own and I was like yeah because this bit and this bit and this bit and she was like not to mention this bit and this bit and this bit and it's, right. it's ingrained through mm-hmm. it all. but from, from my perspective I was just telling a story yeah. I was just telling a story about a fucked up thing that happened one right. night and I didn't realise that it's, it's
1: throughout it but you weren't just telling the story about the fucked up thing that happened that night the mm. other big part of the show is about your relationship with your father yeah right? definitely which is like you know it, it's a huge it, it is interesting that you didn't notice that it was about masculinity was... till very late on because it, it is like you know there's it's about it's about bullying it's about uh how it's about violence. It's about yeah. how men treat other men and
0: don't talk about their emotions. Mm. All of these things yeah. are in your show. But Even when I was writing that part of the show, when I was writing about my relationship with with other men in my life, including my father, I was writing it from the start of you know I'm kind of like a like a, like a little kind of artsy. I'm a comedian, and, and these guys are proper men. They come in from work with like chunks missing out of their arms, and they're like, oh, "It's nothing. Just throw some dental on it and patch it up." And it's so silly the way I was like. I think this show's about toxic masculinity, and then I didn't even realize it was about toxic masculinity when I was walking about men that come in from work with, like, to an extent, limbs missing. Yeah, and Yeah, exactly. missing. Right, your father has two fingers missing, that's yeah. not too much. No, of a no, no, not at
1: all. Um, and and that in itself is a, a, a great example of how you know patriarchy hurts
0: men. Yeah, he. he I, I'm happy to, to to kind of like to tell that story. My, my dad, um, my dad's one of these people that has worked. From the beginning, like he, when he was uh, my age that I am now, he owned lots of uh, like Arctic lorries, he was a kind of a lumberjack woods chopper kind of guy, and when he was 20 he had lots of money and lots of machinery and he was really nailing the kind of gar into the world, hunter-gatherer style thing. But when he was uh, 15, he uh, had an accident on a sawmill where he lost two fingers. And he nearly died because of his refusal to make a big deal out of it, for fear that he would look like an idiot in front of the other men working on the site. He wanted to show how tough he was, because he'd be like, yeah, it's just a finger, what is it? And that, and that even, even when I was writing that bit, which is, you know, all true. Um, that's another thing about the show. If you happen to come, not that this is a plug, uh, because I don't want to do it, but if you happen to see it somewhere, it'll be online at some point, I think. It's all true. N- none of the show is made up. And, right. and that, was, um, that was another Sophie Hagen lesson. She said, if you're going to lie about one thing in that show, you better lie about everything. Because if you've decided to make the choice that you're going to tell lies in the show, tell the best story in the world. Don't tell a good story or an interesting right, story or an amazing right, right. story, and lie. Tell a true story that is amazing, and it will be even more amazing. If you lie about an amazing story, then you have no excuse for not making it the best story. Yeah, in the it has world. to be really. You really have to really. If you're going to make it up, yeah. every single part of it needs to be packed with intrigue and and amazingness, and, and um, so yeah, like. But even even writing those bits, like I keep saying, for some reason, I had no idea, um, and and it kind of all revealed itself later on. Right. Um, Like, the back of my mind was writing these bits in the show. Right. And then, as I matured through the month... And and what's quite strange is, when I was doing it in Edinburgh, it was... Is cathartic the right word? Yeah. It was so... Like, it was like therapy. It was was really... I left Edinburgh feeling a lot better about my childhood and about the events of that night, because... Every night of that month, I was saying it to people and people were saying back to me, we've had that too. You're not alone. You are very similar to my own experience. It's it's strange, isn't it? But it But in my late teens, I was the only person in the world that had ever been through those things. Like, no one in the world had ever had a difficult relationship right. with their father. No right. one in the world had ever not felt... But that's because men don't talk about it. It's ridiculous. Like, we're, like we're,
1: we're, we all feel really alone because nobody else tells us that they're also experiencing yeah. that. And, like, the only way you can find it out is by doing a a, a show on stage <laughs> and people come up afterwards and and, and kind of like i because i talk about quite a few different kinds of violence and experiences and i get a lot of men coming up to me afterwards and disclosing their own personal experiences and sometimes it's kind of heavy you know like to, mm-hmm. to, i've already just i've just spent an hour telling them my most traumatic experiences and then i i then have to listen to their yeah. tra- traumatic experiences but it's important um, and i don't kind of begrudge them doing that and i, I hope they do that again if, if they need to but it, it it definitely make, makes it so clear how mm. fucked up like and this is an interesting thing in this kind of me too moment if you like mm. where where quite rightly we're seeing the worst behaviors of men writ large in 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 how we behave towards women and people who like I think the thing is how men behave to people who are not considered men is the thing yeah. and like sometimes that might be someone might like you or me mm. in the right circumstances I've certainly not been considered to be a man and that's we'll get into that I'm sure a little bit later but there's there's also this kind of sense that when we're, we're still not getting to how like fucked up like men are to each other that mm. is that is like I, I want to I'm not saying that it should happen at the moment and in competition with Me Too it should happen a while later mm. but I want to have a kind of Me Too moment for men where, where we stand up and say like you know your dad and your relationship there are things there that you should be talking about publicly and you are and there's things like my, my stepdad uh, and, and my relationship like you know that, that's where some there's a lot of like you know there are a lot of things in your show that chime with my life experience totally. and vice versa and that's I not should a coincidence no, exactly. it's, a, it's a pattern. It's, exactly. a, it's
0: a major pattern, and um, and and obviously, this is this is. I, I mean, from my uneducated, unexperienced point of view, I feel like this is a period. Hopefully, I hope this is the case. I'm not sure whether it is or not, but I feel like where we are in our society, at least as a kid living in Europe at the moment, I feel like we're in a point of transition from transitioning to the blissful ignorance of everything's fine and we're all okay. To kind of owning up and, and, and being counted, and right. now, the actions that have been, that have taken place are are, are finally getting their consequences, and and and, it's it's really good. I mean, it's I, hope really so. good. I hope you're right. I and hope you're right about that. White straight men, quite a lot of the time, feel very uncomfortable. Yeah, if they can feel at a moment, or well, certainly with a lot of comedians I've spoken to, like the game is rigged against us. And like, oh, nothing's for no, nothing. Everything's unfair against us, and pretty, it's pretty like, like ironic. Yeah, but it's <laughs> but, but you, it's so difficult to have a conversation with someone when you're like, but but nothing's against us now. The, the playing fields are beginning yeah. to be levelled out. We're not even at the point where they're level yet, and and, and a lot of people are like, "This is this is ridiculous. Right. This is ridiculous." Like even in comedy, there are a lot of people that are like, "Well, you can't you can't get on a panel show if you're a white straight male," right. which is like, all of that's nonsense. You've paid attention to the last thirty years of TV that right. we've had. People yeah. need to
1: pay attention to their privilege. They need to understand their privilege, and they need to see that. Mm. But I think there's also another factor that's there with men, which is you know that we're brutalised quite often in our school and home life experiences. Mm. And so when we go into the world and I talk about this in my show like when I when I was at school I was massively othered right mm-hmm. but when I left school I was a white straight middle class cis man yeah. and like it's taken me years to work out that I'm not mm-hmm. under attack anymore yeah. like and then I think that what that's part of the problem is that men then take out their fear their insecurity all of the things that get pushed into the into them as children mm-hmm. like on other people like they had they felt no power when they were children and so they they kind of cleave to power as, when they, they have it when they do, find it when definitely. they when they leave the school gates as i put it in my show but like yeah like that's that's an interesting thing like you're yeah you you experienced kind of domestic violence i guess violence mm-hmm. in your home life mm-hmm. um i did a bit like i actually you know When I hear stories like yours, it kind of puts me more to shame. Like I had my stepdad hit me a few times, right? They were really big moments for me because I hadn't been hit before that, and it wasn't like part of like you know he was my stepdad, so I'd had a previous experience of a different kind of masculinity, Mm -hmm. and then I met my stepdad's kind of masculinity, and he was like you know forged in a similar kind of patriarchal experiences as your dad. I mean, he was. Uh, he was working class from Belfast, mm-hmm. right? So he grew up in like with bombs and explosions and being thrown in police cells and being beaten by his dad, like with mm-hmm. a belt, like and like real like serious shit. Now, again, like his his he you know compared to what he experienced as a child, I I had it easy, mm-hmm. but but yeah, those experiences of being hit. I mean, my mum's very violent too, so there's there's there's, there's violence there too. Um, and emotional violence as well, a lot of kind of emotional uh, 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 violence at home, which is another thing that people don't talk about. We think that violence is just physical. Yeah,
0: yeah. There are um, <laughs> there are a lot of uh, a lot of examples in my life, especially, and, and I assume a lot of people's lives, where what what well, the term I use, and I'm not sure whether it's healthy or not, were games that get played. So when I was growing up, there would be a lot of games that were played. I.e. Right. I don't want to be too specific about it, no, for fear of hurting anyone. But right, and that's always the complexity we have to deal with as true yeah. storytellers. It's yeah. like how to tell the truth without hurting people. Mm. Yeah, it's it's, and that, that's so incredibly difficult. And and I, the way I look at the way I looked at it when I was a kid, there were a lot of games played. So um, people would say things to me in order that they knew that that bus journey. They text me. Someone in my life would text me something. And you know, when you get, when you feel like you're going to get told off or something bad's going to happen, you get that cold rush down your back. Yeah. I'd have people text me when I was like 14, 15, uh, when they knew I was on the school bus coming home. And they, they did it so they, they could get that pleasure out of knowing that I, I'd had to sit on that 30, 40 minute school bus in terrified. Right. And I only realized that recently. And it's like these games are being played with me, and, and it was all just a, a massive, fucked up like pattern. But equally, what I also learned through talking about it, is there's got to be a point where you've kind of got to be the better person. I'm not sure if this, the statement I'm about to make is correct, but...
1: Yeah, you're, I mean, you're 24, you're still evolving... Like not got anything So
0: like, you know, people should assume that when any, anything they hear in this conversation. In, in my head, the second I started to realise things about my past, whether it was through writing the show or talking to people that have been affected by similar things, such as yourself, such as people that came to the show, right. I was angry really uh, angry for a uh, while and I was like this is fucking ridiculous and I really wanted to kick a door in and be like listen, this is completely shit and you nearly ruined everything about my future and if I wasn't a stronger person I would have let that affect me and there are so many people in the world that are fucked up horrible people because they're the products of the environment that they right. were put in but in my head at the moment there's got to be a point where someone goes well I'm going to be the last stop I'm going to be the person that goes everything that was given to me was given to them, my oppressor was oppressed. Right, that's right. So I cannot blame anything that's happened to me because blaming is is not productive. Right. Just saying, oh, it was his fault, or it was her fault. Or she, she fucking did this. That's not going to get anyone anywhere. Absolutely. And the the show really made me look one step beyond my oppressor, and it made me look at if someone's being a twat. For, for, to, in layman's terms yeah. someone's been a dick to you chances yes. are someone was a dick to them right. and it's, at some stage you've got to go well do you know what I forgive you because it's not ultimately your fault that someone was a dick to you I and mean, someone even was if a dick you to them. forgive them understanding yeah. that they're constructed by social
1: forces as well mm. helps you to make, navigate the social forces that are around us because yeah. we're not we're not outside of that 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 system, we're yeah. within it, and so that we're trying to learn how to navigate it. So I think seeing, like, like I, you know, I don't know if I forgive my mum for everything. Uh, at, at every moment, I don't always, but I do see and understand how social forces made her behave the way that she did. Yeah, and similarly with my stepdad, you know, you know, and I, I and. You know, with him, I kind of have had that moment of like confronting him and having him hear me and all those things that are so rare for people. I, yeah, I, th- it, that in itself is a privilege, mm. and 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 you know speaks to something in him that's better than 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 I might have thought was there. You know that that actually sometimes people can surprise you; they can evolve uh, when you think they can't. You know, yeah. we're adults. Uh, our parents are much older adults and they've, yeah. you know, adults are just children uh, who are older. Like, like yeah. I'm, I still don't know it. You know, you keep saying you're a child, I'm like 12 years older than you and like, I don't know anything now either and in 12 years' time I still won't know anything. <laughs> yeah. you know, that's, just, that's just the way it is. I love, the, I love that phrase, like, my oppressor was oppressed. Like, yeah. that is often the case. And what's
0: amazing is that we, um, I mean, I don't want to talk for you at all. Right. I'm assuming it's the same, but um, I count myself very lucky because uh from the from the environment that I was brought up in i had to, i i could have very easily right now have been working in an estate agent or a law firm and had a lot of pent up stuff and i could have gone to a golf range every friday and hit balls as hard as i could and never really addressed it but i've kind of somehow fallen into a into a place where through my job and through kind of art if that's right. not too like pretentious we can kind of go into these things. And we can kind of talk about talk about them and and like it's such a hacky thing to say. Oh, Comedy is just cheap therapy for for me, <laughs> but there's something really cathartic.
1: Yeah.
0: About um about being able to to go out and tell the story. I know what you mean. And I think that's true, but I think that having last year, I did twenty weeks of therapy mm. uh, on the oh, LH's. there's no replacement. There's no and replacement, it,
1: <laughs> and you know, I, I it definitely is different. Yeah, And like totally. you know. I, I, this this uh, this show is in some ways quite therapeutic. Mm. Um, and standing on stage and telling true stories are quite therapeutic. But it wasn't until I actually went to
0: therapy that I realised they're therapeutic, but they're not therapy. It's, it all comes <laughs> down to, yeah, it all comes down to talking. Talking helps a lot, which is the one thing that men don't really do. No, it's true. We dr- well, I don't know. It's interesting. I say in my show, like, men do talk. We just don't talk about our emotions.
1: Yeah. So, like, we talk over women. We talk endlessly about yeah. our opinions. Your dad talks a lot about his window.
0: Jeff, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But this, it, it's it's a it's a lack of uh, it's a lack of talking and opening up for right. fear of showing weakness. Right. It's not
1: we it, we we're, we're not emotionally literate. We don't look at our emotions, mm. and then they come out in terrible ways yeah. because we have not looked at them at all. And that's not just a man thing. That is a thing. You know, my mum was like that too. Yeah. Like lots of people are stoically not dealing with their shit, and it comes out in terrible yeah, what's ways. What's
0: kind of messed up is that I'm uh, I I did a bit of therapy um, when I grew up in my little hometown before I moved to London. And It was the best. It was amazing to talk to someone and, and have sense made. Um, but since I moved to London, I've not really found a therapist. I've not really had time. And I'm, uh, I'm I talk about men talking and men showing vulnerability and feelings. I I have not got it down like at all. I, I'm, I'm I'm not trying to sound like I know anything because I I still I still. Get the same things I assume my dad had, a different to different yeah, things. Yeah. Like emotionally, in relationships, I, yeah. I I I can feel hurt, and then I can be like, you know, writing an angry email to someone, and I can be like, oh, this is this isn't. This is just an extension of that. I, I, I'm i not dealing with my feelings at all. And I, if I went to therapy, I'm sure I would. But then I wouldn't have any shows. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm not... Um... Well, life's a
1: long time. You know, you're not, you're, yeah. not, you're, you're not sworn off therapy forever. It's just you don't have an opportunity at this moment. Yeah. Um, maybe you will have opportunities in the future. I think it's a mistake to start to think, and I've thought this a lot in my life, and I don't think it anymore of like, oh, if I get better, then I won't be able to make up. Mm. Like, that's a danger. Yeah. Like, it's a lie. Yeah. It's a, and that is actually a very masculine lie. Really? Like this, this idea of the tortured artist—you know—I must suffer for yeah, my art. Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that's a a masculine script that people uh, follow, yeah. and I used to I used to follow that script really a lot, right? Like a lot more than I do now, in, mm. in any sense. Um, you know, when I wanted to be a rock star rather than <laughs> like, you know, and a poet and all of the those kind of things that sound like they're not part of masculinity, but actually, when you really get into it, mm. you know. You know poets like you know Byron and Shelley or whatever were toxic, toxic had you know toxic masculinity yeah. infused uh, the way that they behaved. You know, so it's 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 complicated. Like there's not just one script. Yeah. Like and it's the same for everybody. Like whatever your structural position, you're told to be a certain way. I definitely fetishise you know.
0: that. I like the have you heard the story about uh, bon Iver's, or Justin Vernon, the singer bon Iver's album? So, the favour from forever ago no, forever 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 ago i haven 't heard the story I know of Boniva. yeah he 's like my I idolize him at the moment um, right and um, so he went into this cabin in the woods after having his heart broken and he got liver disease from drinking and he was this like an kind of unsuccessful unsigned musician, and then he wrote this heartbroken song in this cabin in the midway like in the snowy region of America, and he came out with this beautiful work of art and i 've always kind of glorified that like i i i I, I really like the idea of being the artist that goes away and locks himself in the cabin in the woods for a long time yeah, I mean, ago i like that idea
1: too it's, it's i'm pretty. just trying to learn not to like yeah, it so much it's pretty but it's unhealthy as hell <laughs> yeah like it's it, it, it's definitely unhealthy and it, often it it's just an excuse sometimes as well for not dealing with your shit like that's the main thing i think like men men we don't know what our emotions are but the, the other thing is that, we're, and we're not we're not li- literate about that. But the other thing is, we just don't deal with our shit. Like, mm. like all of these traumas that I've had, like it took me years to start to deal with it. And yeah. and you know you're dealing with it too. You're dealing with your traumas totally. on stage. I mean, one of the things you talk about in your show is you know bullying, and I was bullied at school, right? Mm-hmm. But my bullying experience, like I was the kid. I'm sure every school has this and I'm sure my school had a number of these kids but I felt like I was the only one because, you know, that's how we all are. Um, But I was the one who got the nickname and everywhere that they went, like the whole school bullied me basically like rather than an individual. It wasn't like I was afraid of particular individuals it was just everybody in the school would call me uh, the nickname and then you know kick kick me and spit at me like mm. I was othered in a, yeah. in a way that you know not very many white straight middle class men get to experience <laughs> that so you know in some ways um you know, it's, it wasn't lucky, and, and I don't and I don't and I don't think that I, like I'm not one of these people who's, who's like, oh yeah, I'm glad I was bullied because it's helped me to grow and and become a person. Sure, it's given me shit, but that's what everything does. Like you, mm. you live your life, you get experiences, and and that's what makes you. I, I would prefer to have not been bullied, but your kind of bullying was like more specific, right? It was like individual people were picking on you rather yeah. than the whole kind of community.
0: Yeah, it was. Um... <laughs> For me, it was very, uh, it was very strange. I talk about it a bit in the show. Actually, there was a there was a kid called Brett, and uh, he bullied me quite a lot. Um, and there was another kid called Christian, and Christian was the main bully. Uh, and Christian was uh, was like everything I'd ever looked up to. I mentioned it in the beginning of the show. Um, the, 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 it was the idea of this kid, who was um, who's great at everything. Like I don't talk about him too much, but. He was he was like the, the 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 village that I grew up in because it's a very small society. He was like the golden boy of the village. Right. He was he was brilliant at sports and he lived quite close to me and he was everything I wanted to be. Right. Like he was on the front page of the newspaper all the time for being amazing at sport and he was handsome and good looking. Right. And I was this like little like strange chubby kid and and, and like I've, I've been bullied for that for years. Like I, I was I was um, I was about I'm not sure if. Sophie's told me about this many times. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say overweight because there is no right weight. but That's I was, definitely true. There's no right weight. I was... A, I was um, In in other people, I was told. I was told for a long time I was like this disgusting you know, animal of a person because I was like a fat kid. Right. And, and I was a fat young adult when I was 19. I weighed about 22 stone, which there's right. nothing wrong with. There's nothing right with. It's just what I was. It's a thing. And it's just a fact. Yeah, it's down to the individual... And I lost a lot of weight, and after I lost a lot of weight, I got loads of positive affirmation off people going, "I look better now," and that made me feel really bad because so cause people that I had no idea right. had an issue with the way I looked would come up to me and go, "Oh, you look great now," and I was like, "All right." So, when we were mates last year, you thought I didn't, you yeah, thought I looked. Right. It's kind of quite strange, but but I, I for years idolised Christian. He was he was like a really cool. Guy, he was like the village court kid, and he would pick on me quite a lot. And it was a strange relationship to have with someone to both want to be them and despise them. Yeah, like he—he was—he was a horrible person to me for years and years and years. And then one, like if he was in a good mood, he'd turn around and be like, "You're right, Ed," and I'd be like, "Oh my god, oh right. my God, he likes me." And it's like he just undid. I love oh, the bad stuff. Yeah, I knew because I. I,
1: I, cause I, I, I Unlike you, from your school life was like very much you're in the village and then you yeah, left. Yeah, it's, it's a tiny ecosystem. Right? Whereas I've I lived in lots of different places as a kid, so I was sometimes in villages, um, but sometimes in cities. And uh, like I, I went to one secondary school where I was all right, and then I changed schools, and that's when I got picked on. So, mm. like from year eight to the year 12, I was like other. But before that, I was just, you know, I was, I was in the middle of the pecking order, right. if you like. But there was, but in the school I went to in Coventry before I moved, uh, I knew a kid like you're talking about, like the attractive, strong. Mm-hmm. The girls loved him. Yeah. He was a prick to everybody, but like everybody wanted to be him. Like, yeah. like, and I, you know, I, 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 it's this kind of mixture of like I don't know, it's like a, a kind of sexual jealousy that you have yeah. for these for these kind oh. of figures. Um, but then you know, like what you were saying about your oppressors are often generally oppressed. I mean, when I think of that kid, like you know I think he's in prison now and like the the kids right, yeah. the kids who who you know the, the kids who picked on me at school like afterwards in the next school like they, they that was very diffuse because nobody was specifically doing it so it was just little bits of like it was like microaggressions yeah. that build up to a terrible thing mm. so most of those kids again like I don't know if I can hold it against them. Like, yeah, I, I do hold it against them sometimes yeah. in the right mood. But like, you, they were formed by this toxic society, this toxic kind of systems all around us, you know. And that's why they were they were picking on me. And, and quite a lot of the kids who like picked on me, you know, would have been doing it for complicated reasons yeah, in
0: themselves, right? That they've experienced in their home life or whatever. It's massively freeing when the moment that I it was so freeing for me personally to live most of my life with all this stuff and to be doing comedy as a way of going like, look at me, I'm not worthless because I wasn't very smart. Like I had dyslexia quite badly. Right. My handwriting looks very scruffy. So I wasn't, when when you're young, if you're a boy, you're either good at sport or you're smart. If you're a girl, you're either smart or good at sport or pretty. And and, and they're, they're, that's what you're judged on. They're, right. the, they're the three or four things you can be good at. And if you're not good at them things, then yeah. and I wasn't good at sport. I wasn't, Pretty and I wasn't smart, Right. Um, and so I was. I never really had the moment of someone going, "What well, well on? That was really good." So when I started comedy and I, it was good, I, I loved it. I didn't. I didn't know why I loved it. But now I know. It's but that's because... another way out. That yeah. is another. That is another. Because like, the, 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 that is,
1: you can be good at sport or you can be a performer. A perfor- yeah. Performance is a way out. Like that was my way out. Mm. Like the way the thing that saved me or got me out was was theatre and, and performance and mm. things like that and art. Like you say, it's a reason. Like it it's gave like... me. And also, it gave me an opportunity to be be praised for things that 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 were... Like, to be
0: praised. Like, literally yeah, to be yeah. praised, rather than to be, like, told that I was the worst it's, it's and so, ugly and pathetic and nothing and all so these things. It's so important for kids. Like, I don't I don't necessarily know whether I agree or disagree with the participation medal style of things. I don't know whether I agree or that because um, a little part of me thinks maybe you might be cheapening the day that, like, a kid does something amazing and is like, I did it. But also... It's so important for young people to feel valid in the yeah, world. It's so absolutely. important to not be surrounded. sat in a classroom surrounded by people that are valid. And then you're just, like a, you're just there to fill up the numbers. Like it, it's so important. And but also, I'd like to say, say as well, like when you're talking
1: about you aren't very intelligent in your mm. view, that is like with weight. A, a bullshit piece of information yeah. that society has mm-hmm. given us. Like, I happen to be somebody who I was considered intelligent at school, mm-hmm. right? I was, in, in, in fact, that was a big reason why I was bullied, right? I was okay. a swat, I was a geek, and all of those things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I read books, and that was seen as bad uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, in my school. And, you know, but, but what I know is I'm just lucky. I can go into an exam and I happen to have the kind of mind Mm. that can pass an exam. Right. But I know people who are, in my view, whatever intelligence means, much more intelligent than me Mm -hmm. who can't pass exams. Like, Exams are an arbitrary bullshit thing. Yeah. You've got dyslexia. That is, means that you shouldn't be being judged on the same level as people mm. who have not got dyslexia anyway. Yeah. But also, there are many kinds of intelligence. Yeah. Like, so many kinds. Like emotional intelligence is super important. And, no, and like we've been saying, men often lack it, yeah. right? Like, so, 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 yeah, and kindness, right? Why aren't we valuing kindness? That's my, my main bugbear all, all, all the time it's like kindness is like the most important quality in, in a lot of ways I think mm. and we never like praise children for being kind yeah we never say to people you're such a kind friend like we like you know men certainly wouldn't say that to, o- no. to other men no and so like don't don't buy into it I guess like I, I know why you're saying those things and I totally understand yeah uh self-deprecation is like um a weapon as well i i I, do. I use it um yeah. and it's and it's it's an easy thing to fall into it also is something that that helps us navigate this this world that we're in yeah. but i just want to say like you know you're not an intelligent and you're not you no. know you, yeah you're 24 but you're not you're not a kid you know you are a person with valid and important things to say and i've seen your show and it's a good show right yeah. and so you know Like you know, it's hard
0: to sort of hear that sort of stuff. I hate it when people say nice things to me. It's very interesting the way you say. (laughs) (laughs) It's very interesting the way you say self-deprecation is a weapon. That is something I've never thought of, and I agree with one hundred percent. I use self-deprecation in the way that another person would use confidence or charm, getting in in before they can do it to you. One hundred percent. If you if you if you stab yourself, no one else is going to stab you. You should stab guy. I I use I use self-deprecation and um and like obviously. As, as many, many most people, let's say, have l- low self-worth, low, you know, because it's very difficult to be one of these very complete, like, yeah. like fulfilled people. Um, Certainly, all, the, all, of, all of the best people have low self-worth. Yeah, yeah, totally, <laughs> because you're constantly worried and you're constantly trying, And but I, I definitely use, there's a, there's a quote in the Tim Minchin documentary, which is on YouTube, called Rock and Roll Star, oh, it's wonderful. Um, oh, we should talk about Tim Minchin in a second. Uh, there's a quote where uh, where um, someone says to him, why why do you pretend to be naive? And Tim says, um, I use naivety as a weapon t- uh, to gain information. And it's like, that's exactly why I use self-deprecation. And like before I... I think maybe in the past, maybe not so much now, because in the last year I've kind of learned a lot about a lot of different things and a lot of different people. One of the main things I've learned is... Everyone's got shit. Literally, every there isn't a single human being on the streets that doesn't have shit. And the problem is, it's so easy to feel like you're the only person that is going through something, and you're not. And that's not to devalue what you're going through or or to make it less important. But it's it should be it should be uplifting to you to know that we are everyone is struggling. And if you like, uh, as 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 performers as creatives we're very lucky because we're in the realm where we can sit down with another person and we immediately have a thing where we're like we can be open we can be honest like but for a regular like person who works in like payroll it's very difficult Mm -hmm. to sit down next to someone who else works in payroll and say I really struggle I'm really struggling here but for us it's 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 maybe not easier but we have more opportunity to be Open and honest, which is which is so helpful. Yeah, so you're helpful. right. But then, in a, in a way, openness and honesty also can become
1: a kind of reflex. It can it, it can again become like one of the main things I was kind of working through in therapy. Is you know, whilst I might be somebody who stands up on stage and talks about my deepest darkest traumas, mm. like that doesn't necessarily mean I know how I feel at any given yeah. moment in, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in life. Um, so you can seem like people often say I'm very self aware. Uh, and in some ways I am, mm-hmm. but in other ways I'm completely not. Yeah. Um, and and to buy into that kind of narrative of of I'm the open honesty guy, mm-hmm. I'm the like, and that's again I think a, a real trap for men. Uh, and we're seeing this kind of at the moment in in terms of you know you can you can start to think oh yeah I'm a feminist so that means I don't have to think about what I do. Yeah. And like you, no being a feminist means you have to think even, even more, more about true, what you do uh, you know literally like for me and I, i'm not saying this originally like a, a lot of women uh and fe- like feminists have, and womanists and people who are much better than me have said this before but like feminism is an action it's not an identity mm-hmm. to me like it's, it's like a, a constant like process of like working on yourself like in my in my view and like so, so to sort of say, oh, I'm a feminist, so I'm all right. Like, so I don't have to think, and and you know, you it implies that you're kind of. Yeah, you've, you've got to the end of the path. Like, yeah. there's no end of the path. No, no. There's always more... There's you're... further.
0: We can always we can always go further. Kind of, it's kind of like the second you identify as a feminist or, or see yourself in that way or start to learn about these things, you're through the matrix. Right. So <laughs> it means you need to be even more aware. Like, you can't go, oh, yeah, everything's fucked. Right. And then stop paying attention. Right. The second you know it's fucked, right. it's your duty it, to be on the lookout. I mean, it and... ruins
1: everything for you. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, like, I can't watch hardly any comedy because there is so many, like... Uh, fat jokes or like uh, anti-sex work jokes like there's so many of those jokes even in 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 comedies that everyone loves everyone thinks Mm -hmm. are the best
0: yeah Um, but it's it's good as as, it's good as people it's good I mean I don't want to sound self-congratulatory but it's good that as a society we're starting to see those things starting to I hope we are Um, I hope we are I mean I think that there's there's
1: a long way to go before I'll feel confident that we're turning society around but I think that in certain parts of society in certain groups in society there is definitely um, improvement headway being made Mm. like I do do agree with that it's just there's also an an equal pushback at this moment Um, and so we will see I mean I hope I hope and that's why I make stuff Uh, and and I assume that that's why you make stuff and that's why Sophie makes stuff because we hope on some level that we can turn this 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 ship around the way that
0: horrible people <laughs> in suits uh, describe us as influencers which is the most toxic <laughs> way to try and make money out of social justice but yeah hope hopefully that hopefully that the tides are starting to turn hopefully this is the generation where we start to make things a bit well, better well you i
1: mean you are the generation i'm not the generation i'm
0: like older than you
1: i mean this is the thing that your generation is the one that gives me more hope than my generation and the generations above my mm-hmm. generation like the the You know, young people growing up now are kind of, they're involved in discussions that I didn't come across till way later Mm. than I was a teenager. Like, I wish that as a teenager I'd known about toxic masculinity. Yeah. Like, I wish someone had sat me down as a teenager and said, the friend zone is absolute bullshit. Like, that would have been super fucking helpful because that was something I did buy into for quite a few years. Um, You know, because it's hard not to because that's what you're told by
0: everybody. Yeah. It's it's the um, we've, it's kind of the arena that you, we we've played in for years. We've kind of been playing by a certain set of rules, and I would, I mean, it, it's it's a long time coming. Right. Like it's it's all been a long time. This is the thing I've started to learn. It's everything. Every one of these things is a long time coming. Right. Um, we've been people have been working behind the scenes for years, and uh, and um, and it's, it's 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 building slowly. I feel. I've, I mean, I don't know anything about it i don 't know anything about it, but I know a little bit, and like you said, the second you know a little bit it 's like a pandora 's box of, <laughs> of how messed up everything is because you 're like ah oh, there 's a lot of fires that need to be put out and a lot of buildings that need to be rebuilt and a lot of um it 's strange though it 's like a hearing aid but
1: we can only do those things collectively as well like it 's not on any individual to completely put out any of those fires no. it 's our, our bit to do a little bit like to do what we can within
0: our like lives, in our kind of opportunities. The second you become aware of it, though, it's kind of like a hearing aid being switched on. Because, like, I, I started to learn about these things, and and like, you know, baby steps, very gradually, um, looking at um, in into intersex, I always say into, not inter and internal. But there, there are some, when you start to learn about these things, it's like your hearing changes a bit, and you start to like listen to jokes on TV and be like, ah, that's not very inclusive. That's that's very yeah. That's very sad and. Um but then, there are subtle changes happening. There are more different, like there are more people of colour and 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 different sexualities and on TV. And I watched a thing last night about um about uh, Caitlyn Jenner, and about whether people feel that she's she's good or bad. Right. And a lot of people feel she's bad. I don't know where you stand on it, but I, I mean, you know,
1: I try not to pass judgment particularly on kind of uh, transgender women who are in the public eye. Mm-hmm. But if I was to take a position on that. I would probably stand with uh, trans people who consider her to be, uh, whilst she's a good thing in some ways in terms of telling people that there are lots of, you know, that trans women are real and they exist and they're mm. there, uh, she's still like a super Republican, kind yeah. of really there's, problematic there's, in there's, loads of ways. There's no black and white, person.
0: There's, there's only grey, but from watching it, like she, yes, yeah, she definitely is very Republican, and and she was very cagey on, uh, uh same is it same sex marriage, gay marriage. Yeah, so, I mean, she, the, the thing is that her politics are quite Republican. Yeah, but then, <laughs> basically. But then then it comes that point where you've got to look at the the oppressor's oppressor. Yeah. you've got to look at, Caitlyn Jenner, was Bruce Jenner, and Bruce Jenner was, the hero of America. He was the strong guy, the Olympian, the you know the, the he he was he was the 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 Figurehead of masculinity, he what he competed in in the Olympics. Bruce Jenner was um, I can't remember what it's called where you throw the javelin and the shot put and you do the hurdles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, uh, he, triath- triathlon, triathlon, something like that. that. I mean, we don't. People know are going to correct us, but um, but like amazing at a lot of different things. And then the more I watched it, the more I learned about it. Like he was always struggling, like always struggling with. um with his identity, and um, I, I, I know what you mean. That, that whether he's good or bad, but yeah. then when you look at Caitlyn Jenner's,
1: I mean, I don't think for, for for a start. Like, okay, so if we're gonna kind of, kind of, I should say, you know, like, so Caitlyn Jenner's always been a she, like Caitlyn, okay, because because. Uh, That's what it is to be trans. It is to identify as a different gender from the one that you were
0: born into. Assigned at birth, if you like. So when I... This is good. I like learning. (laughs) (laughs) Learning's important. This is the one thing Sophie taught me. She taught me that... um, Because quite often when people learn things, they get their back up for being wrong. Right. Instead of embracing being wrong and being like, okay, let's learn. Um, So when I talk about... If I was to have a conversation like I just had, and I was to talk about Bruce Jenner, the past Bruce Jenner. Yeah. That I refer to Bruce Jenner. As... So that's
1: complicated because when you're saying Bruce Jenner, you're dead naming uh, Caitlyn Jenner. So it would not be appropriate to call Caitlyn Caitlyn Bruce under yeah, an in any circumstance.
0: When referring to the. You, it's, complicated. Post, historic post it's complicated. It's complicated. I dead. guess
1: you would still say Caitlyn Jenner, but you'd say when Caitlyn Jenner was seen as Bruce Jenner, okay. maybe. I, I, I don't know. Like, I'm not the right person. No, to give no you this, this is good. This. That it's... I know a bit more than I did five years ago. Yeah. I, I've still got loads more to learn. Like, you know, I, and certainly, you know, I'm sure, like. I hope that listeners will, will understand that the, the this is a learning moment. Yeah. And that, you know, that's, that is a complexity that we have. Like, as much as I think that language needs to evolve mm-hmm. and we need to be more, like, uh, inclusive and improve the way mm-hmm. that we talk... I also think that in order for us to do that, we have to allow for a period of time when we're still
0: working yeah. out how to. Uh, hence my uh, my my starting this podcast with. At some point, I'm going to say right. something wrong and because did... I'm having these conversations about, you know, as as a as someone that isn't super uh, savvy, right in it. You have these conversations because you want to learn, but inevitably, if you're walking into like uh, the kind of edu- trying to educate yourself on these things, you're gonna you're gonna step on a few
1: right mine I try to call in rather ah, than call out. that's clever. Uh, well, it's not my cleverness; somebody else's cleverness <laughs> again. But but I think once you start to think that you're the expert on what language other people should yeah. use, you've fallen into the same. Uh, trap as male feminists fall into yeah. right like once you start to think you know the rules like once you start to think oh i understand everything
0: yeah. so i can be in charge of it you've kind of lost yeah. before you've before you started in my view it was such a <laughs> tough like um yeah it's one of the first things sophie told me that if you if you if you're, you're, you're going to make try try and learn about these things then you need to be prepared to be wrong because right? everything you grew up understanding everything <clears throat> you grew up Ie that is a she that is a he uh, that's right. that, everything's wrong when you get married and married, yeah you, everything you knew is wrong because Literally, it's been fucked for the years the biology that you're
1: taught in school is wrong Like mm. the, the, the the idea of binary gender is wrong and, it's and, so we've, and we've been taught that and it's and it's not just we've been taught it it's in every yeah. single film every book every place we look
0: like, pronouns pronouns is yeah. something I'm, I'm I'm just trying to learn about now and and like yeah it's it's it's, it's, it's a thing you can't learn about without getting stuff wrong. Because but it's coming everything. from that point of learning, though. The problem yeah. is when people say, no,
1: I'm not going to change my thing that I do, because yeah. that's how I do it. And it's like, no, that's not that's not the thing. It's like, someone tells you that you said something that upset them, listen to what they said, yeah, that's definitely, and,
0: you know, if it upsets them, don't do it. There's like, definitely a correct way to be incorrect. Right, you can be incorrect right, and be right. like, ah, you yeah, know, it's all too complicated. Like, And that's... that's Right that's what people have done and if we're going to move forward there's there's definitely a correct way to be. I mean
1: and right. as someone who's been hurt by a lot of words right
0: and mm. I say this in my show like I don't want to hurt other people with my no,
1: words. No. Like and, and and anybody that thinks that words don't hurt they're fucking massively privileged or or like completely oblivious to reality mm. because words hurt people all the time. Like, they're the, they're the thing that hurts people often the most, I think. I'm not saying that sticks and stones don't also hurt. Like, or, like they do. Yeah. Like, it's not just uh, it's not just uh, names either. Like, both of those things hurt,
0: but, yeah. I think words can hurt more. I think there's, a, there's an old quote. I don't know who said it, but I'm not going to try and recreate it. But I think words can hurt worse. Because wounds will heal. But you can say things to people that stick around for a while. Well, the
1: thing is, wounds and, and words aren't separate, like a lot of the worst words that have been used to me have come with also some violence, yeah like physical violence too. It's like those things come together, don't they, and that's half the problem is a lot of these words that people toss off uh without realizing their kind of effect on other people the power those, in them. yeah, the words that they toss off like those words will have been hurt heard, heard by people when they've been being physically like they they're triggering words because they will they will speak back to moments when people like you know I can literally think of moments in my life when people have hurt me and said terrible words to me and that's why I hate those words you know okay yeah, so it's, totally. it's 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 not that's not binary either no. nothing's fucking binary <laughs> and that's literally the the main thing I've learned in the last 5 years is no anything that seems binary is not binary like anytime you look at it like in more detail it's not like good and evil is not binary like you know do not even exist i don't think. yeah that's That everything's a spectrum. Everything is more complicated. Like any time you think you got it, this is simple. It's easy. I understand it. You're almost
0: always wrong. Yeah. Like when 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 you get into that. That's one of the things that the show taught me. Going back to the show, is the the absolute ridiculousness of the idea of black and white in in terms of uh, good and bad. Yeah, yeah, absolutely ridiculous theory. That uh, I, I can't. I cannot. Believe that I bought into that for a second because right. everything is just a different shade of grey. But it's
1: again, it's everything that we're taught. Yeah. It's in everything that these binaries are, are woven in so much, and you know, Sophie's absolutely right in that. You know, we we have to be prepared to to get things wrong, and if we get things wrong, own up to it, listen. admit it, listen, yeah, listen first, mm. but then also take take responsibility, take take a be accountable. Like if you do mess up. Say that you messed up, yeah. don't do it again. And, and now, the,
0: now is the simple, best, most... But hard. easy. It's, it's the easiest time <laughs> to be wrong. It's easier than it's ever been. It's, easy, it's the easiest time to learn about these things because there are so many influencers. There are so many uh, artists, so many entertainers, right. and these creatives. But well, that's there the internet, so many, right? Yeah, podcasts. Anything
1: you want to find out about, you, you can learn. find out about it through the there internet. There is
0: no like, excuse for not knowing
1: something I've right learned now. so much more than I did at university... Uh, from just being on Twitter Mm. for like five years before it all went to shit like in recent times Mm -hmm. like there was just a long period of time of just following people who are not like me listening to them not sending a message to them every time they tweet just reading their tweets reading their articles learning and everyone can do that Uh, we are super privileged in that respect now we have the internet Mm. so it's been amazingly like enjoyable to get better acquainted with you even though we've been talking about some very dark stuff Everything. occasionally like it's been really great and you know the light has changed as we've been doing it because it's, it's we're, we're we've been doing it uh, over the period of time when the sun's gone down mm. uh, we've had a few cars go around in the, in the outside the outside of the bill murray and that will be uh, nice for asmr listeners um the last thing that i ask everybody is do you have anything to plug
0: Yeah, Uh, I do. Um, So if if people have enjoyed listening to my stupid voice, um, I'm uh, if if anyone listening to this is in Adelaide area, I'm doing the Adelaide Fringe, um, and I'll be putting stuff like that on uh, on my Facebook page. Everything, um, anything. If you want to be see anything I've done. Ed Hedges on Facebook, E-D-D-H-E-D-G-E-S. I've got a Soho Theatre run of the show that we were talking about and I would love to have people come to it that uh, are investing in it. in Edinburgh, I definitely had some people that came because it was taking a punt. Some people that came because they'd heard about it, and it's definitely a better show if you come wanting to see the show. So, yeah. if you'd like to come and see it, um, definitely, uh, definitely come down and and see it. And um, what are the dates, the dates are the now. I think I'm gonna get this right. 31st of April and the first, second, and third of uh May. May yeah, so, May. Um, <laughs> so I'm doing that. Uh, and um uh i'm going to be doing previews all over the shop if you're listening to this somewhere that isn't london uh i'm, I'm doing previews all over the country of my new show forever from forever ago it will be lovely to see you there um but but mainly if you just want to follow me on twitter or like me on facebook um if if, if you want if not yeah cool and it's ed with D's. E D D H E D G E S which <laughs> it's just a little <laughs> bit more complicated um Yeah. The last thing I ask my guests to do is to say goodbye to the audience. Okay. um, Well, thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed uh, listening to it as much as I've enjoyed talking to Mr Pickering. Um, I'll see you later. Bye. Bye, everyone. Ed is 24 and as he said in the
1: conversation he's sorry for anything that he might say wrong but he is learning as we all are I'm 36 years old and I'm still learning already I don't like the way that I phrased everything in the conversation that you've just heard Uh, in 12 years time or longer I'm sure there'll be even more that I disagree with I was completely wrong in saying that everybody has the opportunity to use the internet to learn not everybody has that opportunity that is in itself a privilege not everyone has the access to the internet, they may not have the money to pay for the internet, they may not have the time to spend learning. There are loads of situations that people are in that are completely different from each other and it's always a bit of a dangerous thing to generalise even though generalisations are also useful in some ways to make sense of the world. One of the things that today's episode has been about has been about my show, uh, What About the Men Mansplaining Masculinity? You can find that online as a free podcast at mansplainingmasculinity.co.uk and I also did a reflection and extension of that show for BBC Radio 4's forethought which was called Liberating Men, which I think is still available, which brings me to something quite exciting. I'm going to be launching an unbound page on Friday, Unbound is a kind of cross between a publishing company, they're a proper publishing company, they came to me and asked me if I wanted to adapt my show as a book, but it's also a cross with crowdfunding. And so the way that it works is people pre order the book, and once you hit a certain amount of pre orders, then the book gets. Printed. So it's a, a big, exciting moment for me, but it's also going to be a lot of work. It doesn't officially launch till Friday, so please, if you're hearing this on Wednesday or Thursday, please sh- Don't tell anybody quite yet. It feels a bit weird to me announcing it before I'm officially supposed to be doing so, but hopefully I can trust all of you people listening to keep my secret until Friday. And if it doesn't launch on Friday because something that is unforeseen comes up, like can sometimes happen in life, as I always like to at least assume that the worst might happen, even though hopefully the best will happen, then uh, keep it quiet for even longer, maybe forever. But I'm 99% sure that nothing will go Wrong with that, and it will be launching, and it's very exciting. And so, when it does launch, please do consider buying a advanced copy, as well as making getting better acquainted. I also co-produce and, I guess, star in the magical realist audio drama podcast, The Family Tree. In order to keep making it and to make season two as good as we want it to be we need your help so if you can afford to then please do consider signing up to our patreon appeal you can follow getting better acquainted on twitter at gba podcast you can like getting better acquainted on facebook and you can find getting better acquainted on itunes soundcloud those kind of places But remember, there are lots of ways to get better acquainted.